Dueling Genre Productions presents. Oh my god, do you see that? When a freak accident strikes McKinney City, ordinary citizens are given amazing abilities. I can move things with my mind. Oh my god, I'm flying. I can fly. I can teleport and I can fly. Super senses. What, like Daredevil? We are just playing fast and loose with this whole science thing today, aren't we? Now, there are villains. Billy, when you have an arch nemesis, do you just kill them immediately? No. You tie the ropes just loose enough so that they can keep escaping. That way, when you finally do win the day, you can sleep well knowing that you rose to the challenge. Your brain works differently than other people's, doesn't it? And heroes. Leah Markowitz, Gwendolyn Allen, Jeffrey Gibson, Mindy Gibson, Simon Holt, Splendid, you're all here. I'm going to make you all into superheroes. Screw it. Let's go save the day. The Powerful. After I drain everyone here, McKinney City will be mine. I'm going to show this whole city what real passion truly is. And the underdogs. You're all imagining me as a singing, dancing chipmunk right now, aren't you? The people in that store need help, and we can help them in a way no one else can. We have great power, which means they're our responsibility. I mean, Jesus, what's the point of having five freaking Spider-Man movies if we can't even learn to do that? Geek by Night, an original podcast series about five friends running a comic book store with superpowers. You're really going to keep running a comic book shop while trying to be superheroes? It might not always be easy, but I think the world could use a few more underdogs. Available at DuelingGenre.com and podcast apps everywhere. Dueling Genre everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski. And I'm Todd Mack. And this week we're discussing the members of the Marvel comic book superhero team, Runaways. And to help us in our discussion, we are joined by Scott Corelli from Dueling Genre. Welcome. Hey, guys. I'm so excited to be here to talk about Runaways. So I said you're from Dueling Genre, but do you want to narrow any specific podcasts that you do for our <laughs> listening audience? Um, well, well, other than being, you know, like the owner of Dueling Genre, um, <laughs> I, uh, I also, uh, I also, uh, I'm the host of Spider-Man Minute, um, so I've got my Marvel, uh, my Marvel cred working for me over there. Um, but I also uh, just wrapped up Back to the Future Minute, uh, which was 345 episodes of that. Uh, the Doctor's Companion, which is a long-running, uh, at this point, Doctor Who podcast. Although in the grand scheme of Doctor Who, I guess it still feels kind of new, uh, even though <laughs> we've been doing it for like seven years. Um, you, you will never catch up to Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, no, it'll never, it'll never happen unless, unless God forbid, it gets canceled again. <laughs> so, uh, so that's the Doctor's Companion, um, and uh, and of course, I'm the uh, creator and co-executive producer of Geek by Night. So you have your finger in a lot of the pies over at Dueling Genre. <laughs> yeah, quite a few. I, I, well, I mean, I I kind of have a finger in like all of the pies. Right. Yes, in all of them. They're all on your shelf. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just walk through the the shelf of pies occasionally. I just stick my finger in all of them. <laughs> as one as one does. We're really great. We're really uh, grateful to have you here. Oh, thank you. And this particular topic is actually your request. We said uh, I I was a guest over on Spider Man Minute. I said we need to have you on protagonist podcast, and you listed a few things you'd be interested in. And when you said Runaways, I very eagerly said that's the one we're doing. Runaways. <laughs> 
it's been on our radar to get to, and we just really needed the excuse to do it. Yeah. So uh, I needed oh, the excuse to reread it. So here we are. Yes. Yes. And specifically, we're going to be talking about uh, episode or issues number one through six and issues number 13 through 18 from the first series of Runaways. And this was written by Brian K. Vaughn and drawn by Adrian Alfana. And because this is the first appearance of these characters, they are the creators as well. And this series was launched in July 2003, and the last issue we're discussing was published in 2004. And Runaways is the story of six teenagers who discover that their parents are supervillains. So they run away, but they each inherit powers or powerful objects from their villainous parents. So how did you guys come to Runaways? Scott, do you want to go first? Uh, sure. Uh, I I went to I, – at this point in uh, – in... In 2003, I was reading comics because I had gotten into uh, the weekly grind after the release of Spider-Man in 2002. Replug of Spider-Man Minute. Uh, <laughs> so, so after uh, after getting into weekly comics at that point, and you know, I was still in high school, so it was very limited how many comics I was reading. I was mostly reading Spider-Man, to be honest, and. I went to the store and I saw this first issue and I thought, you know, wow, runaways, like there's kids on the cover, like this could be cool. And I, I remember flipping through it and I was like, oh, there's a lot of people in here. Oh, it's a video game? Oh, weird. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm going <laughs> to check this out. Um, and so I got that first issue, like the Wednesday it came out and that first issue hooked me so hard. Uh, and so when you get to the end of this first volume, and I don't know what version of this you guys read, but uh, at the end of issue 18, there's a letter from Joss Whedon where he's like, what do you mean the end? And uh, is is sort of like, you know, really angry in the letters column, just like as a reader, really <laughs> angry that they're not coming back. Uh, and then they, they thankfully announced uh, volume two, which I think came out um, – like a few months later or maybe the following year or something yeah, like that. Yeah, next year it came out. Yeah, yeah. So so I I just – I loved these first 18 issues. Um, I know a lot of people uh, are less than fond of the vampire arc, uh, but I actually find the cloak and dagger arc uh, to be not as good. I, I actually I, – I think that the vampire arc is really clever for what it's – for what it's, I guess, for like as weird of a of, of an idea of like having a vampire and a superhero story is, like I think that they do some pretty clever stuff with it. Whereas the cloak and dagger one is like, okay, it's cloak and dagger, sure. Um, yeah, I think but, that was may have been forced by editorial saying if we're doing a team of teenage runaways, we got to have tie it back into the Marvel universe. Yeah, the original teenage runaways. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I I just I really love this series, and I remember. I remember Marvel Studios announced there was going to be a Runaways movie a while back, and it was yeah, uh, it was it was probably one of the early ones that they actually it, said. it was before they were sure they were going to be building to an Avengers film that they announced a Runaways film was in the slate. Yeah, if I'm wow. not mistaken, the original three films they announced were uh, Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, Ant Man, and Runaways. I think those were like the original four films they announced. And and Runaways just kept getting pushed back and pushed back. And then eventually they just seemed to be like, well, there's not really any room for them because they're doing their own thing and we don't do movies that do their own thing. So yeah. um, in some ways, if they'd waited just a little longer before doing the TV show, it might have come back because now they seem a little more willing to say we're going to mm -hmm. just explore this side of the mm -hmm. Marvel Universe for a little bit. But then we wouldn't have the showrunner uh, from the OC, which is literally and, the and from perfect Chuck. showrunner. Yeah. 
uh, for a Runaways TV show. So um, I'm pumped about that TV show. Uh, but uh, I I just I love this series to pieces. It's these 18 issues are one of my favorite just chunks of comics I've ever I've ever read ever. Wow. Yeah, it's a pretty great run. And uh, listeners who aren't familiar, the the vampire storyline and the cloak and dagger storyline that I mentioned, those are the six issues we're not covering, just because they don't right. build into the overall runways mythology. And to save Todd a little time in his summary, <laughs> uh, we excised those. But Todd, how did you come to the series Runaways? I read the first issue of Runaways a while ago. I mean, a while ago, meaning within the last two and a half years, <laughs> which is when I started reading uh, comics. And apparently, I wasn't totally hooked by it because i only read the first issue and then i was reading other stuff it must have been when i had a marvel's marvel unlimited uh subscription um and then i just uh, picked it up yesterday and read through <laughs> <laughs> read through the rest of it um today and it was good i liked it um i was <laughs> i was wondering as as we were getting ready for this at what point do i do i get to stop calling myself like a comics noob <laughs> like a like a new comic reader yeah because I, I, I think that ship has sailed todd <laughs> you think so yeah we're about three years into a podcast and uh, almost every month we talk about a comic book yeah okay. i'd say i'd say one of the thresholds is when someone asks you hey recommend something also when you say it was when i had a subscription to marvel comics unlimited maybe at that point <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> i had to i had to pick it back up just to be able to get this because we so i'm living in this little town in rural michigan and we don't have a lot of <laughs> access to comics at libraries and things um and so i had to order it from some other library and it took a week to get here and uh anyway just i i finally broke down and paid for the subscription and then i thought oh man i love all this stuff all the star wars stuff is there and uh oh well, you'd be really into reading all the star wars stuff right now yes yes i'm totally yep. into that I've, i finally finished my um lords of the sith the darth vader uh palpatine buddy adventure <laughs> it's Road trip adventure. pretty great yeah <laughs> anyway back to runaways um yeah so that's my story yeah, I, I was aware of it coming out. Um, I was a more regular, like, going to the comic shop reader uh, when this did first come out. But I did not pick up the first issue, which is a shame because I think it would be one of the more valuable comics in my collection because it didn't have a huge print run. <laughs> um, this was part of uh, I, uh, an event that Marvel called Tsunami, where literally they just kind of threw new ideas against the wall and hoped something would stick. Um, they had a, a wave of, I want to say it was something like 18 new series that they released across, like, a two-month period wow. to see... It, or, I, I can't remember the exact, I may be off on that number, but Runaways, I think, is the crown jewel of that tsunami wave of something oh, yeah. that actually has had an impact on the Marvel Comics universe since. It, I, and, think and this was, I think this and the Mary Jane miniseries were like in that same. Okay, that Mary Jane series is actually fantastic. Oh, no, no, it is. It is absolutely yeah. one of my favorite <laughs> yeah. Spider-Man anythings uh, ever. Yes, we will talk about that at some point on this podcast. Yeah. No, no, for sure. And, but I think those are the two that, cause that was the, I think that came out a little bit after this. And I, I almost suggested that. Um, but I was like, you know, mm -hmm. I talk enough about Spider-Man. Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I, I love that series as well. I, and, and yeah, it, I think these were the two sort of like young adult series that came out of mm -hmm. that. And I think, I think two of the only on, like only ongoing, runs that came out of that um not a lot of hits came out of that I, if i'm not mistaken yeah which i mean e even if 
you only get two things that like have a big impact. That's not horrible for you know the sprawling company that is Marvel and for the number of new series that do get launched and then just disappear into nothingness. Was, was Young two Avengers hits is, in there? is worth trying to wave? No, Young Avengers was a little bit later, yeah, like two thousand six. Okay. I remember there's oh, a Human okay. Torch kind of manga style Human Torch comic book that they did. I think they were experimenting with a lot of kind of manga style stuff mm-hmm. because the producer, Andrew, jumping in, um, when I read this, it was in like a manga sized trade mm-hmm. format. The, yeah, they, the were, digest, they were doing like the a digest di- size. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the different size trades. So like they were experimenting with some stuff, which they needed to be doing because this was shortly after the 90s when. You know, bankruptcy was looming. <laughs> I think because I think the concept of the digest was to sell them in uh, like uh, K K through twelve like book markets, like the um you know like the, like book, the book fair. Fairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because they were super cheap. They were like six ninety nine cover price, and there was like six yeah. issues in them. It was it was bonkers. Like the like they would never ever in a million years sell anything that cheap ever again. Um, those digests were so cheap. They were newsprint, uh, but you would get like six yeah, cheaply produced too. Yeah, crazy, yeah, crazy. But I mean, it worked. It got me. It got me hooked into being a Marvel reader. Yeah, yeah like Absolutely. I bought. I've bought comics for basically my entire life since then. So, yeah. I think um, though. So I didn't get the first issues, but then I, I started to hear like really good reviews in the early like online comics press scene. You know, comics review websites. And so it may have been that first digest or at some point I got a collection and I was like, this, this is really good. <laughs> and then, uh, when they collected all Brian Kaya Vaughn's, uh, first 18 issues into one big hardcover, I, I ordered that pre, I pre-ordered that <laughs> when I knew that one was coming. <laughs> yep. That's the one that I have too. The one back when Marvel used to make uh, huge collected hardcovers for like $20. Um, yeah, that was yeah. fantastic. Oh, oh, it was so good. I, I have the first three volumes of Runaways in those. In the digest form? Mm-hmm. No, in the uh, oh, in, in the, the hardcover. Hard yep, absolutely. Yeah, they're, and yep. it's so good. Yep, they're beautiful hardcovers. Yeah, I I, I love those hardcovers. Yeah. I got a couple of the the Omnibuy and all kinds of stuff in the hardcovers. They're so good. Mm-hmm. All right, well, a little bit of trivia about Runaways. As we've kind of noted, um, the 18th issue that we're talking about was actually when the series was canceled because of low sales. But the sales on the collections were so high that the series was then brought back I think less than a year later in 2005 and Brian Bond and um, Adrian Alfano were the creative team on that relaunch, which became volume two as it was known. Uh, and then it's been canceled and revived so many times since then that I don't even know how many, <laughs> how many different series or volumes like were on two at this point. And a new one is looming uh, in the very near future. Yeah. Like the next couple months. And uh, we kind of touched on this already also, but Josh Schwartz, who we discussed as the co-creator of Chuck in episode 136 of the Protagonist podcast, he is the showrunner on a 10-episode television adaptation of the series for Hulu, and that has a release date on Hulu Hulu for November 21st of this year. And as far as awards go, in 2005, Vaughn won an Eisner Award for writing the series. And in 2006, the collection of these 18 issues was named to the American Library Association's list of top 10 books for young adults. Wow. Um, credit where credit's due. If I'm not mistaken, I believe he's co-show running with Stephanie Savage, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. I am not percent sure on that. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I will, I'm pretty I... sure he's, co- he's co-show running with Stephanie Savage, who co-created Gossip Girl with him. Um, that seems like a good pairing for right. this particular title. <laughs> yeah, yep, I agree. And she was, and she was a staff writer on the OC, so that's where she came from. Well, thank you for that correction. Yeah. Uh, any other trivia on this? 
Nope, that's that's all I had. Okay, before we jump into the long synopsis, we'd like to thank all of you for listening, and especially thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would also like to support us uh, financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least $1 per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. Um, real quick, listeners, for as far as where you can get this, um, these collections that we've been talking about are still available for order. Um, but also, if you have a local library with a with any kind of uh, graphic novel section, I would imagine there'd be some collection of Runaways in there. But it is also, this entire run is available on the Marvel Comics Unlimited, which for, I think it's $9.99 a month, you get access to literally thousands of Marvel comic books uh, that are very easily read on the iPad. The iPad's kind of ideal for Marvel Comics Unlimited. I, I wonder if this one would be stocked at like a Barnes and Noble graphic novel section. I'm sure it would be with, with the show coming out uh, right later now. This year, almost I wouldn't be surprised if it's in stock. I actually, I actually, um, I actually think that that would be having been a book retailer for a long time, uh, specifically a comic book retailer. Um, I, I would say that it's probably weirdly out of print right now because they're oh, going to, okay. they're going to wait until the show is out so that there's a high demand and then they'll mm. reprint everything in like a brand new thing that's slightly overpriced because that's what they always do. <laughs> ah. That's the cycle we're looking for. Okay. Yep. So, so I, I was on the wrong end of the cycle. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But, but so not, hey, not a preemptive uh, release. Yeah. Marvel Unlimited. Just do that. <laughs> yes. I don't know. I think it's so popular that I'd be sh- I'd be surprised if you went to like a big Barnes and Noble and they didn't have this in. But but I don't know. But it is also 15 years old almost and and like 10 volumes behind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. All right, you ready for the long synopsis here? Yes, Todd has our long synopsis I today. I am strapping in. Okay. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> Uh, issue one. I'm going to go issue by issue. Issue one, 16-year-old Alex Wilder lives with his parents in a fancy Malibu home. Every year, his parents get together with a bunch of other fancy parents to discuss what they tell their children is a charity fundraiser. While the parents head off to talk, Alex has to entertain the children of the other families. Uh, so Gertrude Yorks is also 15, and her parents are scientists, sort of. Uh, Carolina Dean is 16, and her parents are perfect. I think they're actors. Uh, Chase Stein is 17, and his parents are just mean to him. Uh, Molly Hayes <laughs> is 11, and her parents are doctors. And Nico Minoru is 16, and Alex might have a crush on her. Anyway, on the night of the big get-together at the Wilder home, the board kids decide to spend uh, to spy on their parents. This is Alex's idea. Unbeknownst uh, to his parents, Alex has found a secret passage that allows them to sneak in and look through uh, through like a a mirror where to where the, where their parents are. So they sneak in and they find their parents dressed in strange costumes. And at first they think the adults might be superheroes until Alex's dad stabs a random girl, killing her in some strange ritual. Issue two. Rather than confronting their possibly supervillain parents, the kids decide to meet up later in secret to make a plan. And they meet at the 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 James Dean statue at the um at the planetarium. And they do this without the young Molly because she's just a kid. And they're not, or something. Uh, finally, they, they so they talk about this, and then they decide to call the police, but the detective just laughs at them, so they decide to investigate. And they, first they go to Gertrude's house, because it's the closest, and, uh, and they go there, and they find another secret passageway, and inside there is a velociraptor. Yes, a velociraptor. 
uh, issue three. Along with the dinosaur, there's a hologram from Gertrude's parents telling her that the raptor is a gift that they brought from the future, and they genetically modified it to only follow her commands, and it's supposed to be a gift to her upon their death. And they leave the raptor there. So the kids, a- a- anyway, she, she calms it down because she can control it. They leave the raptor in the in the tunnel where it was hidden, and then they escape, but the raptor sneaks out and follows them. And then they go to Carolina's house where they find a secret book and a message to her, uh, and the book is written in code. And the message informs her that she is an alien and she can fly, and so she flies. And also, and, and she glows. Also, someone from the police station who is loyal to the Pride, that's the name of the secret society of villains, uh, informs Alex's dad about the kid's phone call earlier that night. Issue four. At Chase's house, the kids are confronted by his and Nico's parents, but thanks to some newly found superpowers, including Nico's ability to, I don't know exactly how to explain this, but her mom tries to stab her with a spear and the spear just sort of absorbs into her. And then when she gets cut, the store, the, the, the spear like magically reappears and she can cast spells with it. Chase uh, puts on some robot gloves that his dad had in his shop and Gertrude's raptor appears at the last minute and so they barely escape. Uh, but then Gertrude's parents call and tell them to stop their nonsense or they will hurt Molly. So they're all over at Molly's house and they're going to hurt Molly who's been sleeping uh, if they don't turn themselves in. Issue five. Alex convinces his friend to go and try to rescue Molly. And in a series of confrontations, we find that Nico is, in fact, a kind of witch that she can use this staff slash spear uh, that sh- that magically comes out of her out of out of her when she's it like it manifests. <laughs> yeah, but it manifests like by coming out of her chest in when she gets cut. Um, Caroline punches out her mother. Nico knocks out Molly's mom, who is a mutant, and ha- she has some mind control abilities. But just in the moment uh, when Nico knocks out Molly's mom, Molly wakes up, and she uh, has just seen Nico knock out her mom, and she's really, really, really mad. And uh, and it turns out that she's a mutant, and she has super strength. Issue six. Gertrude is able to calm down Molly, and they all escape. And then Alex uh, is able to steal a ring from Caroline's mother's hand while she's knocked out. Um, and he, he, he's able to use the ring to decode, to start decoding the secret evil book that they found at Caroline's house, Carolina's house. And so they try to go to the police, but then Alex's father calls him to let them know that the Pride has the entire city under their control. And that Alex and his friends are wanted for murder of the girl uh, at the house, at Alex's house, and the kidnapping of Molly. And we also find out here that one of the kids has left a note pledging allegiance to the adults, but we don't know who it's from. So one of the kids is a mole, but we don't know who it is. Uh, with nowhere else to go, Chase takes the gang to an abandoned mansion inside of a cave that he found in the woods. Everyone but Alex takes on a new name. Gertrude calls herself Arsenic, and her dinosaur is Old Lace. And that might be my favorite part of this whole entire thing. <laughs> oh, yes. Arsenic and Old Lace is, Arcan- Arsenic and Old Lace is one of my favorite movies. Um, and... <laughs> just fantastic. Uh, Chase <laughs> wants to call himself Neo, but Gertrude wants to call him Talkback. Uh, Carolina calls herself Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Uh, Nico calls herself Sister Grimm. And Molly, uh, everybody wants to call Molly Bruiser, but she prefers Princess Powerful. Uh, only Alex keeps his name, telling his friends that he wants to redeem it, not hide from it. And uh, so they decide to be superheroes and help people. Now we're going to skip to issue 13. Back in the in this mansion... It's kind of an amazing skip from 6 to 13 because it feels like nothing has happened. 
<laughs> it was uh, like you didn't really miss six issues. Yeah, like yeah, like you really didn't miss six issues. So, um, back in the mansion, Alex has found out how to use the Dakota Ring to read Carolina's parents' book, and it tells the story of how the Pride was formed and how each couple was summoned by some evil monsters called the Jibor. Is it called Jiborim or Giborim? I've Do never actually said it out loud in my entire I life. I always pictured it as Giborim. It's one of those comic book things but where I, where there's still where there's people who thought his name was Magneto because they just saw it and, written down and then they went and saw yeah. that first movie and were like, wait, what? Magneto? That doesn't even make any sense. I'm going to go with Giborim. I don't know Giborim. enough Hebrew. It's like Jif and Gif, really. <laughs> uh, so, so I may, uh, I may alternate or something. Uh, so these <laughs> giant evil monsters are called the Giborim, and they want to restore the world to some previous utopian state. And so Alex is, they, they say they need six uh, pairs of people. Um, they need thieves. That's Alex's parents. Gertrude's parents are the travelers. Nico's parents are the magicians. Molly's parents are the outcasts. And Chase's parents are the wise men. And Carolina's parents are the colonists. And so these new villains will have their powers augmented for 25 years while they offer yearly blood sacrifices of young women to the Giborim. And after that, the six most loyal of them will live and rule the world, and the other six will die in fire. Uh, and then three years later, after they've been called, Chase's parents announce to the group that they are pregnant and that they're willing to give up their spot in eternity to their child. Uh, and so they'll let themselves be killed, and then the, the, the six kid, or their kid will inherit their spot. And the other, kids, uh, the other couples eventually agree that they will do the same thing. So they're all going to have one child, and then they will, uh, they'll go until their kids turn eighteen, and then right before they, they, right when their kids turn eighteen, right before the world is cleansed, uh, then they'll allow themselves to die, and their kids will inherit the earth. So just as Alex is finishing this horrifying story, the LAPD shows up to arrest the kids. Now we're in issue fourteen. The kids use their powers to escape, but while they're doing it, Alex and Chase's fathers reveal to each other that they actually don't want to kill their kids because. Um, some of the people on the team seem to be willing to kill the kids. And Alex, Alex's dad and Chase's dad, they say, we're not going to kill our kids, so we'll be kind of on a team. So now they're kind of good bad guys. Um, and on the other hand, Carolina's and Molly's parents reveal their plan to kill the other parents and, and the other kids, except for their own, and save paradise for themselves and their two daughters. Um, and so the runaways resolve to then take the fight to their parents. So we have... Alex's dad and Chase's dad, they're kind of good bad guys. And you have Carolina's and Molly's parents who are bad, bad guys. Uh, issue 15, the Pride all meet for their annual Rite of Thunder, in which they turn over the soul of their most recent sacrifice to the Giborim. Fortunately, Alex has also deciphered enough of the book to know how to find the adults. So Nico makes a giant bubble for the kids, and they go under the ocean to the palace of the Giborim. But when they get there, a giant rock monster... <laughs> When you say it out loud, it all sounds ridiculous. Like, I, don't know, I don't know how else to say this. It doesn't sound... Uh, but anyway, they get to this underwater palace, and they are attacked by a giant rock monster. And then Alex uses the book to find a code word to, to turn the rock monster off, but not before it kills Chase. Issue 16. Uh, wait, Arsenic, who is also Gertrude, uses CPR to bring Chase back to life. And then the kids attack their parents, and it's a pretty fire, fair fight until Alex turns on his friends and then tells his mother that he was the mole, which is kind of a shock. I mean, I don't know. It's supposed it's supposed to be a big surprise, and it was for you me. You knew there was a mole, but you kind of keep forgetting a little bit. <laughs> well, you kind of keep forgetting, and also, like, as I run through it in my head, I'm like, 
could be this person, could be this person, could be this person, could be Alex. No, of course it's not Alex. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. But yep. Yep. I'm a total sucker. I'm a total sucker for these kinds of things. I never see them coming. I know that probably, you know, 90% of people who read this were like, oh, so obvious like, from the very beginning. But no, I, I remember a huge it. debate in fan circles about who the mole of the runaways mm-hmm. was. And like, there's enough clues that it could be any of them. That, you know, that everyone has something that is suspicious. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I, I have also a lot of thoughts on that about how Vaughn writes stuff like that. Expectations. But uh, I'll wait until you're yeah. uh, done with your okay. uh, recap. Right, I'm getting close. close. I'm getting close. So, uh, so Alex is the bad guy. And um, so Nico is frozen in a spell. Gertrude and Carolina are knocked out. Molly is drained of energy from fighting Nico's parents. And Chase is still out of commission from being mostly dead. Um, but now Alex has – so now Alex has Chase's robot gloves. He has control of the raptor. And he has Nico's magic staff. Things are not looking great for our superhero team. Issue 17. It turns out Alex knew about his parents' villainy a full year before his friends. And he has been manip- manipulating them all along. But it turns out he really is in love with Nico, and he wants her to come along with him into uh, paradise. Um, and fortunately, she isn't so smitten with him anymore, so she smites him. And then Carolina and Gertrude wake up. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I just needed to like take a moment to appreciate what you did, Todd. Thank you. It's taken me, it's taken me two and a half years, but I can finally write a joke without laughing my head off at it. Uh, okay so uh carolina and gertrude wake up and old lace comes to the rescue and alex fights back a bit but then chase shows up driving their parents sort of a submarine slash frog uh, frog (laughs) it's called the leapfrog it's a big robot vehicle uh anyway everyone is fighting when molly wakes up and she is really 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 mad and molly i love molly she's just so tiny she's this tiny little 11 year old girl and she has super like hulk strength and she's really mad, so she grabs a little box that has the soul in it, and um, this is the one that the parents are going to offer to the Gaborim, and then she smashes it. And then immediately the Gaborim show up, and they're really, really mad that the sacrifice has been lost, and, and Alex gets vaporized, uh, which is also kind of a, sh- kind of a shock. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the parents try to fight off the Gaborim while the kids run away. So the, the parents sort of make this sacrifice. We'll fight them off. You get out of town. Uh, and so they do. And, um, and when they, the kids make it to the surface, uh, back to the beach, Captain America is there to greet them. And then uh, finally, issue 18, the runaways meet back up at the James, Jean, the James Dean statue at the observatory. And then first it's Nico and Carolina, and then Gertrude and Molly. And then finally, even Chase shows up. They've all escaped uh, foster care or orphanages or they've been wards of the state um, and none of them want that. And so Chase tells them he knows where Old Lace the Dinosaur is being kept. So they go, they break into the this place where, where Old Lace is and they set the dinosaur free. And then it turns out that they also find their parents' ship there and so they steal it and they decide to just live free. Uh, the story ends with this quote by James Dean. Uh, from Rebel Without a Cause. He says, I never thought I'd live to see 18. Isn't that dumb? Every day I look in the mirror and say, what, you still there? Man, like even today, I woke up this morning, you know, and the sun was shining and everything was nice and I thought, this is going to be one terrific day so you better better live it up, boy, because tomorrow maybe you'll be gone. The end. Great summary, mm-hmm. Todd. Thank you. I just gotta say, I'm still overwhelmed by what a perfect elevator pitch this is and I'm shocked no one had done it before. Yeah. 
Well, because, you know, the thing about this as an elevator pitch, because it's one thing, I don't know, it, it's 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 one thing to have, like, just a, just a regular sort of um, plot pitch that's this good. But then the fact that it it's also thematic about how teenagers always, like, hate their parents and, and feel sort of antagonistic against their parents, like, that whole thing, like, somehow Vaughn figured out how to out-Whedon Whedon. <laughs> I mean, it's basically, I mean, how, like, I, I never thought anyone would be able to, to beat, like, oh, high school is hell, like, that elevator pitch. Uh, like, I, I never thought anyone would be able to beat that metaphor. And then this comes along, and I go, well... Maybe, maybe this one beat it actually. And they never, uh, like, it never feels forced, but there is like some explicit acknowledgement of that, like thematic undercurrent being, you know, like the subtext right. being text again, <laughs> you know, that that kind of thing. Um, like, and not just teenagers to parents, but also like the younger generation to the older generation. Like, you're screwing up the right. world, and we're just gonna have to fix it. That kind of um, angsty mm-hmm. attitude that that can be expressed at times, and in this case. Their parents are supervillains that are ruining the world, <laughs> and they feel like they've got to fix it. I think uh, – so I'm just going to come out and say I, I don't feel as smitten with this as maybe others in present company. <laughs> um, that is fine, Todd. I, 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 I recognize that probably on a different day I would like this story better than I do, but for some reason today I'm just – like it feels so bleak to me. Hmm. And – like, I don't know, maybe because, well, I, I can't say because I'm a parent because, you know, you guys are too, but like, I don't know. I just, I I really hope that when my kids are teenagers that they don't just think that their dad is totally worthless and that I've ruined the world for them, <laughs> you know? But but maybe, like, maybe that's inevitable. But I don't know. I don't feel that way about my parents. <laughs> so... <laughs> I don't know. Like, there's there's something inside of me that's like, yeah, this is so cool, and there are really great characters here, and I mean, it's a great story. There's there's no denying that, but like, I don't know, it just didn't speak to me today. Like, maybe it would have at a different a different time. I don't know. I think that's so, completely it, valid because I think we all have that experience of stories, uh, like when you engage with them for the first time, that can like lock in your thought about them. But then if you reengage them at a different stage of life, you have a very different reaction. I know I've experienced that. Um, be uh, like being a teenager to an adult or uh, being single to being married or even being married to having children. Like all those things have changed the way that I perceive stories that I thought I knew and appreciated a certain way. Well, and I think too, um, I mean, there's another layer to this, which is, you know, the concept of sort of, um, you know, becoming an adult. I mean, that's, that's sort of what this is of, of like not relying on your parents anymore. And now granted that, metaphor is is being done in a way where they're like literally killing their parents and and living beyond them <laughs> um but but it it's still like i think the metaphor is still is still valid and isn't as bleak as i think it may seem on surface um i think i think what this is ultimately saying is like this is sort of this whole storyline th- these 18 issues specifically um because the 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 series sort of becomes something else in volume two um in in this these 18 issues specifically i think it's really that's really what it's about is like is about how you that that sort of 
difficult transition from becoming a dependent human to an independent human and how hard that is um and how you need to not rely on your parents anymore and you need to figure out who you are without them and i don't think that that's uh a a dour story i think that it's just that the way that the metaphor for that was chosen may seem dour because the plot itself is dour but i think that the the actual yeah. story and the arcs that these characters are going through and what it's metaphorically meaning i don't think is as dour as it may seem at the on the surface level yeah i mean it's it's not like this is you know, never been done. It's, it's, it's partly like classic hero's journey and you get to the bottom of the circle and you have atonement with the father, which also means like death of the father, right? Like Luke Skywalker has to kill his father in order to be reconciled with his father. Or like, is it Harold Bloom in the Western canon? I may be totally making up this reference, but I think Harold Bloom in, in this book called the Western canon talks about like, um, Killing the father, like the the all good writers have to kill the father or something like that. Does that ring any bells to you guys? Mm-hmm. It's ringing a bell, but I cannot think. <laughs> Which, and it does feel like Bloom, but I'm trying to think: is it that one or <laughs> is it Shakespeare and the Invention? Of it the human? may be. It may be. <laughs> anyway, the, but this idea is is totally valid. Um, anyway, there was just something like you like you were saying, Scott, about like the the choice of the metaphor. I don't know for some way today. Um, struck a different chord <laughs> struck a different chord with me um maybe because maybe c- because in part like i feel like the world is kind of bleak right now. sure <laughs> like i look out and i just see a lot of like really crummy stuff happening and i i, I don't know sure i i don't know <laughs> i don't know why exactly sometimes i mean it's, it's for a million reasons right it's the horizon of expectations what we bring to the table when we read and we complete the text and for some reason what i brought to the table today was was just something different Mm -hmm. but uh, but all of that being said it's a really fascinating story it's a it's a really interesting take on this metaphor um and the characters my goodness are just fascinating like i love the characters that was my other note is that brian k vaughn in this first issue is Uh a master class in characterization um like i'm looking at it we get these six main characters and each one uh, like we get a lot, a little longer with Alex because we get that video game intro. But most of them, you get one page and four panels, and yet you know totally. who the character is after one page, four panels, and usually like a half yep. dozen word balloons. He he's a master, and he's a master of just, that. There's an economy. All of his first issues. I think he's yeah. the best first issue writer in comics ever. Period. <laughs> um, and, and and that <laughs> sounds like an absurd thing to say, but I I don't think. I don't. I mean, we we've discussed Amazing Fantasy yeah, fifteen. And, and you know what? That's, <laughs> yeah. that's a great. That's a great. That's a great comic book. But I don't. I don't. I don't know that I consider it a first issue because it's not. I guess what I mean by first issue is like once you started getting into uh, multi issue arcs where that was sort of the norm, the first issue comic became a completely different sort of format. It became more like a pilot. That I think uh, comics used to be where they were, you know, just a series of one and dones. Uh, and I think I think Vaughn mm-hmm. as a sort yeah. of pilot comic book writer, I don't think there's another uh, comic book writer who is better at the first issue than he is the art of the first issue. 
I, I yeah. agree. I, he has some of the most memorable first issues I've ever read. And again, like the economy of being able to establish in the reader's mind mm-hmm. characteristics in just so few images yeah. and word balloons. <laughs> like these aren't even full scenes. And yet I know who Molly Hayes is and I know who, you know, Nico is and, and they just click in a way that uh, I've, I haven't seen any other writer master it, it, to be able to do it so quickly. And I think some, like certainly some credit goes to the artist for this opening issue because you get the environments that all these people are in mm-hmm. and that's immediately useful for establishing their character. Like the, the way the art is laid out for each of their introductions and also kind of the, um, the scene settings, the establishing shots, like I totally get where all of this is happening and I get how their environments are relevant mm-hmm. to the characters. Like, like you see their homes yeah, and each and home you, is very different and distinct. Yeah, and it's got different color sets and and all that stuff, and that's part of their characters. And coming as a reader of comics in the '90s, when often backgrounds were like crosshatched blank colors, the <laughs> <laughs> uh, having having uh, you know the space around these characters, be it like uh, we see Nico's, we, we don't even see Nico in uh, in her like one page introduction. We see her yelling through her door at her parents, and her door is covered with all these posters. Um, or, uh, yeah, like Chase's, Chase's, um, he's in like a gym room with his dad yelling at him, uh, or hitting him, you know, like his dad hits him, but like there's the harsh fluorescent lights above them. It just says so much so quickly, um, about each one of these characters. And there's, and, and, uh, Chase is actually a really good example of, um, something that Vaughn I think is a master of, uh, which is the, um, sort of expectation turnaround where he doesn't he leans into expectations and then sucker punches you and that's how he (laughs) does that's how he does everything so so for example right and and obviously this isn't in these uh these 12 issues that we read this is in the vampire arc but like a perfect example of that is where um the vampire is like going to bite nico and uh, Nico, like, he's, like, trying to convince her to let him turn her into a vampire and is, like, you know, monologuing about it. And she's like, okay, fine, go ahead. And then he bites her. And then, of course, she bleeds. So the staff of one comes out and then stakes him through the heart. Like, <laughs> that's perfect because he lets the, the thing that you expect to happen, like, oh, the angsty, the angsty gothic chick wants to be a vampire. Oh, okay. Um, and, and so, you know, you're like, oh, okay, that's where your expectation is. That's what's going to happen. And then he bites her and he's like, ah, it's not happening. Um, like he does that so much. That's like kind of his move. And with Chase as a character, what you have there is the fact that like you have his dad is like this, uh, this kind of like alcoholic, abusive father. Abusive. Right. But. But the, but the, but the, but the, the switcheroo is that Chase is athletic and popular and his dad is a nerd. And wow. just having that sort of, that sort of reversal of, of that expectation is like, you see it happening and you're like, oh, okay, I understand what this, di- this power dynamic is. But then you get, you immediately get lost when you're like, wait, his dad's a scientist and he's a jock? That's confusing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's the, 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 the nerd picking on the jock. Right. Yeah, exactly. So he does, he, he's sort of like the master of, of reversing your expectations like that. Um, 
it's it's one of my favorite things about him as a writer. It's sort of like if I had to point at one of his quirks, um, that's that's definitely a big one for him. I think. So did you find the what? the big reveal with Alex at the end? Did you find that to be surprising, or could you I see think, it coming? No, I think everyone everyone was surprised by it. I don't know anyone who saw that coming because Alex was the leader. And so you're never going to expect the leader because he's leading them. Why? Right. Why would it be him? Uh, but then when you go back and you see that first reveal of like, oh, there's a mole, two things are happening in that scene that reverses those expectations. One, Alex's parents aren't in that scene. So when it when they're reading the letter that says – like, I know, you know, mom and dad, I'm always going to be on your side. And I know that whatever you did, you did for a reason. His parents aren't reading that letter. It's all the other parents that are reading that letter. So you already just like automatically, just like as a reader, you're reading this and you're looking at who's involved in the scene. You're like, oh, okay, so it's either got to be, you know, one of these three sets of parents' kid. Right. You know, it's not going to be, it's not going to be Alex. And then later... Alex, uh, when they're picking names, like code names, um, mm -hmm. Alex says that he's, wants to yeah, he wants to stick with his name. And right away, that should be a dead giveaway. Like, oh, he's sticking with his name because yeah. he's still proud of it. Uh, well, I think the scene right before that is them say, like the pride saying, someone in the group is loyal to us. Yeah. And then in the next scene, Alex says, I'm loyal to my family name. I'm going to revive it. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to redeem it. Right. Yeah, so it, see, it, it's, it, it seems obvious in retrospect, but I think, you know, you just – you don't expect the leader to be the bad guy because that's not – that's not where our expectations lie as an audience, you know. Um, we, we expect it to be uh, – well, it's just part of the, the ensemble but not who you have felt as the main character. And then, you know, going forward, Nico sort of becomes the the main protagonist in volume two. But in volume one, it really does seem like it's Alex who's the main protagonist. Yeah. And so as a result, you would never you would never expect that because you're being told that you're this character. You know, like this is the character that you're supposed to be feeling for and being empathetic with and uh, you know, relating to. And so the fact that that's the person that Vaughn chooses to be the mole, I think makes that a really shocking twist. And then immediately killing him is an even more shocking twist. <laughs> uh, that was, the, that was maybe the more, the, the, the bigger shock. I agree. Was the, when they just vaporize him, like one second after he reveals that he's the guy he just yeah. gets toasted <laughs> yeah and i was really surprised about that does it make sense for him to write a letter anonymously saying oh you know i'll always like i don't know i i, I feel like there's um in, in the issues we skipped there's one other thing where i thought this only works in comic book it would not work in any other medium it's where the call. there's a phone call and he says to the pride don't worry, I'm still working with you. I'm like, any other medium, we hear that voice and we know who it is. But right. in the comic book, it's left just as text on a page. So there's a couple of those beats where I'm like, this is serving the story and building up fan. Like, this this is for the reader, not for the internal logic of, uh, you know, of what a character would do in that in that moment, I think. I agree with that. I And I agree with everything that you said, Scott, about, uh, about uh, expectations and all of those things. I just, the letter seemed like 
okay, we have to have something. So we'll do a letter. And also, we have with to the make letter, it anonymous because like, everyone look at this and say, "Is that your child's handwriting?" Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was waiting for that. I too. mean, I mean my, my theory is that he did the letter uh, because because Vaughn was very much a uh, like he had an agent and was trying to break into Hollywood. And after after Runaways and Why the Last Man being such, I mean, you know, pardon the pun, runaway hits. Um, for him, uh, you know, he, he sort of, he wrote like a few spec scripts, both of which I have read and are incredible, um, and, uh, wrote some pilots and things like that, but like nothing really took off for him. So then he came, he came back. I think he wrote for lost for a couple of seasons. He did write for lost for a little bit. Um, and then he, and then he came back to comics with saga. Um, and of course had another, uh, just incredibly runaway smash hit um, with Saga. But I – so I think that when he wrote that original letter thing, I think he was still writing in terms of TV. And so he's like, oh, OK. So like in you know in TV, it'd have to be a letter because you can't hear his voice and whatever. And then like you said, later I think he realized, oh, wait, this is a comic book. No one can hear his voice. <laughs> like we could just – he could just call <laughs> and no one reading it will know who it is. And that's perfect, you know, um, and and so I think I think the letter the the call was actually him making up for the letter and how how silly of a thing that was. I think when he, when he does the call and that like, I didn't read those middle episodes. When he does that call, then do the parents know then that it's him? Yeah. Uh, no, I think he he I thought he called the detective. Oh right 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 right, right. yeah. He, he, he like yeah. calls the detective and says, "Tell my parents that." Yeah. Right 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 right. But still, the detective could have said it was a boy's voice, and there's only two boys in this team of six. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he could have, but he didn't. It, it's left completely, yeah, okay, uh, open ended. But but about that, actually, that that does open the door to something else I wanted to touch on. I think there's a couple of very interesting points where Vaughn kind of comments on comics. One is this uh, video game introduction to Alex Wilder, <laughs> where that is that's I such a good it. introduction. Yeah, I loved it. Where uh, like uh, he's playing this uh, online multiplayer game, and some other player shows up as Invisible Woman, and this very scandalous. Is it in version. her like her like her eighties uh, one? Nah, I, I no, mean she's just, had a couple it, versions. It's just her jumpsuit, but it's like zipped down past her breasts. So yeah, like, and like torn in very provocative right. places. There's something like that. <laughs> it's just um, it's a ridiculous cleavage. Yeah, but but like at the same time, you know, it's like, well, internet game playing skins, <laughs> right? Like, yes, this this sort of thing exists. Right. But then he presents us with a team where there is no provocative art, right? It, right. Even though this is a Marvel comic in the early two thousands, and Marvel was not shy about publishing provocative art, <laughs> um, it remains not you know not shy about that. But he kind of subverts that aspect of the genre right away. And then the other valid criticism of superhero teams, because so many of them are coming from the forties and the sixties, there's a lot of white males mm-hmm. um, that, that completely dominate the superhero genre. And he introduces this new team, um, which has more girls than guys and is much more diverse than the average superhero team. And then there was one other moment where he like acknowledged this, that I thought it was really cleverly done when the time travelers talked about, jumping forward in the timeline to see if they could figure out if the pride succeed or, you know, what, what their futures are. And they say, and and so it says like, we went to multiple dimensions in the future and in timeline after timeline, it was the same old 
white superheroes killing each other and that gets boring and i think that was a, a very like, that was a pointed commentary oh, about yeah. Mar- marvel and dc comics well, we need to uh, well, they, and i think they say we're going to give them something new which is exactly what he's doing like he's creating brand new characters whole cloth this whole mythology of the pride and he sets it in la because marvel comics are always in new york and, and then he uses that he, he makes an explanation for that saying it's like they control crime in on the west coast mm-hmm. yeah um and so there's some fun meta moments mm-hmm. about the superheroes genre and about specifically Marvel and DC comics that Vaughn, you know, slides in that um, work well enough that you don't notice them. You don't have to notice them. But if you do and you're, you know, in you're deep into the, the superhero comic book world, it kind of makes you smirk and just say this is a writer who knows what he's mm-hmm. doing. Well, yeah. and even even uh, this team being more diverse than uh you would because because like okay so so one it's more diverse because you have you have you have nico and you have alex but then you also have carol carolina who's a lesbian um and and so you have all of those but then even that and that right there isn't enough for even by today's standards of of that of diversity because even in the new show like the 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 actual show Gert and and um uh, and Molly are are uh people of color as well. So even then, like in that show, only Carolina and Chase are white, and that's it. Like they're the only ones on the TV and show. Carolina's an alien. Yeah, because because <laughs> even even then, like even though like at the time this was like wow, what a diverse cast. It's like well, I mean, they're still all white except two of them, um, mm-hmm. and they're all they're all still straight except for one of them. So it's not that diverse uh, by today's standards. It's just, it's really interesting how even something that seems so diverse 15 years ago doesn't even hold a candle to what we consider diverse uh, in today's stories. Yeah. F- 15 years later, they've got to update that part. Yeah. Of it. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, but uh, oh, and then the other thing that I want the other thing I wanted to mention um, going back to the expectation, because I just have to call this out because it was so brilliant. Uh, the thing about Molly uh, becoming a woman and that <laughs> continuing yes. joke and everyone just being like – she's like, yeah, I'm bleeding from my – and they're like, no, 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 no. We don't want to – nope, we're not having this conversation <laughs> right now. This is not what we're going to do. And then it turns out that she meant she was bleeding from her nose and that she's getting mutant powers. That was absolutely brilliant. Like one of my favorite sort of like joke reveals of this entire series is, is that because Molly plays that so straight and you, you, you so believe that Molly as a character would absolutely just be like asking these awkward questions about, about becoming (laughs) a woman and, and going through puberty uh, and that, you know, when you get the reveal that it's the mutant power, it's just like, oh, <laughs> it's so funny. It's so good. I love it so much. It's it's fantastic. It's it's just that reversal of expectations thing again. Also, that Molly always wakes up when when uh like right at the wrong time, right? right. Like she doesn't she doesn't she doesn't always have the whole picture, so mm-hmm. she just wakes up like s- screaming mad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you know, well, particularly for Molly, it's. Every time she uses her powers, she gets super tired. Like that's yeah, the cost. Out. Yeah, that, that's like her kryptonite. <laughs> She's not just Hulk strong. If she uses her Hulk strength, then she needs to recharge. Which, <laughs> right. which, is, which is perfect because again, Vaughn is all about. He's all about adding, um, 
you know, like a like an addendum to all of their powers. Like it's yeah. not enough that like like he's he's like yeah, Nico has a staff that if she cuts herself, so like okay, so she's in pain, and then the staff comes out. Okay, cool. Like so, she has to suffer a little to get the staff, and then the staff can do anything, like literally anything. And <laughs> and but, but it can only do anything one time, right? Exactly, exactly. In in that language, exactly. Yeah. And like that's that's so perfect. And then the Molly thing is just as good because Molly would just be like an, an unstoppable beast, right? If she'd be a Deus Ex Machina whenever the right one. Absolutely. And so <laughs> what they do is she punches one thing and she has to go take a nap, like. Oh, it's perfect. It's perfect. It's I, I just I love it so much. It's 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 the perfect way to sort of like level out your characters and make sure that their kryptonite isn't as rare as kryptonite, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of the rook and the creation of powers and like just being so careful and making sure that everything fits and that everything stays in balance. Mm-hmm. Um that that's kind of what it reminded me of. Like really thinking it through. I can ne- I could never I could never do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And I mean, most it's people so think easy. Super, I think if you're superpower creating... is flying or being invisible yeah. or having super strength, but it takes uh, some skill to be able to keep all those things in balance. Yeah, I think it's so easy to come up with the powers, but then to think about what is going to add tension once those powers have been established, like. And this is um, the classic pe- uh, problem that some people have with Superman, right? Like, right. well, he should be able to fix any physical threat, <laughs> right? right? Immediately, unless there's kryptonite in the room. And that's why kryptonite's always in the room uh, <laughs> with Superman. Uh, and this is kind of like nipping that problem in the bud right away. Yeah, We're right. going to have some power. You know, uh, Sister Grimm is going to be able to do anything magical, but she can only do it once. So if she put your foes to sleep last time, she can't just put them to sleep again. She's got to think outside the box for a different way to do that. Yeah. They they apparently have a um a list of every spell that she's done. <laughs> uh, well, any writer who's going to work on the series has to have that list right, sent right. to them. Yeah, yeah. The, they have a list of all of those spells, and and so like every time a writer writes her, it gets harder and harder <laughs> because I mean. I, I don't know if you know this about comic book fans. They can be obsessive about details uh, and continuity. Right. <laughs> really? <laughs> and so if a writer were to have a repeat a spell, they would probably hear about it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why she doesn't just do like a like a clean slate spell. I think she tried that at some point. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. I, I'm not sure. It's, I, it's like wishing for too many wishes. The genie yeah. says no. But I – so like <laughs> – Runaways is is one of the series that, through all its iterations, I've I've collected and read like every single issue. Like, and, and I think I've missed like one volume of a different series that Nico appeared in. So like, mm. I, like I I paid attention to the Runaways because it was one of my very first comics, and I'm so attached to it. But um, like at one point they were teaming up with the Young Avengers, who they have a, a like an android on their team. And so she asked the android, like, can you tell me how to, like, phrase something in Latin that's really specific? And so she, it was, like, tunneling mammal in Latin. <laughs> and she could use that spell because they needed to dig under a compound. <laughs> and so she, like, she like projected this tunneling mammal. <laughs> and it's, it, like, the way they've used the language. And so she started studying, like, 
different language like dictionaries basically so she could do the like one word command spells like the simple ones at least she could reuse them so she she can you know teleport as many times as there's the word teleport in different languages and things like <laughs> as that long as she has access to the word yeah, yeah she has to know the word and but she can also do like odd phrases sometimes i think like one time she says detox to get someone to puke <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that like that power is so cool. <laughs> it's one of my favorite ones to think about. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, we've been going for a little while. So we've got these six new characters that were created whole cloth for Marvel Comics. Do you have a favorite amongst the characters? I like Molly. <laughs> Princess Powerful. Yes. Yeah. Bruiser. <laughs> she has a favorite moment of mine in, uh, I think it's the second volume, or is it the third, when uh, they face the Punisher? Oh, it's. I think that might be the third volume, but I'm not sure. So Punisher, super grim, gritty Marvel character who kills all his bad guys, just uber violent. No, I think that's the Joss Whedon run. Okay, it might be in the Joss Whedon run, because Joss Whedon did write a run of Runaways. Um, and Which is super he's... weird, because he's referenced in the vampire arc. <laughs> yeah, so that's yeah. right. So it's just, <laughs> but he threat. I, I read that issue, because I read all 18, because whatever. Um, and uh, it's Runaways. I love it. So I, 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 when I got to that and they reference he like the vampire says Whedon got it wrong, and I was like, he's the guy who writes this after Vaughn. That's <laughs> so weird. Like, <laughs> like you know, he's referencing a future writer of these characters. That's bizarre. Anyway, but. Uh, I was saying Punisher was threatening the group and Molly just punches him in the stomach, but she doesn't, she thought Punisher had superpowers. <laughs> yeah. So Punisher like curled in a ball on the ground. Everyone's like, Molly, you so, can't. He doesn't have powers. I didn't know that. <laughs> and then Punisher, like you see a thought balloon, like must not cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I love Molly because partly because of that reveal and that, that long joke. Is is pretty fantastic, but also just the the juxtaposition of her like her physical uh, characteristics and then her her power mm -hmm. and I just I don't know I'm gonna be really it's curious like her taking a nap and it's great yeah I'm gonna, I'm gonna be really curious to see how they deal with her in the show because I know they've cast her really like much older um, mm -hmm. so I like she's not gonna be like a little kid in the in the show so. It's going to take away a lot of the charm. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious so. how they're going to deal, like what, what her thing is going to be then. Um, mm -hmm. That's going to be a really different dynamic because the whole, the whole thing of this is like, especially going forward, like um, uh, Nico and uh, Chase sort of become the de facto kind of like maternal and paternal figures of the runaways in a way. And and they're like mm. constantly sort of taking care of Molly and like babysitting her, um, and I don't I don't know what you know without that dynamic it's gonna be it's gonna be really different on the show because uh, I think it 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 definitely brings something where the Runaways feel like they need to grow up for Molly's sake, and without that there i i'm i don't know what the dynamic is going to be in the show hmm. it'll be interesting we'll find out yeah what about you scott what's a favorite character for you it changes every time i read it <laughs> um i but i i think i think this time i i think i liked um 
uh, arsenic the best this time. Um, it's usually it's usually either arsenic or uh, Nico, but I think it was arsenic this time. Um, mostly because I was reading her and 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 getting sad because of what happens to her later. Um, but uh, I I just I I just think that she's I don't know she's. She's sort of she feels very um realistically portrayed as an angsty teenager. I mean Nico does too, but like Nico is in that phase where she's just trying too hard. With performative angst. Right, exactly. Whereas yeah. like whereas like Gertrude Arsenic, like she she feels kind of like genuine. Like she's got that sort of Daria Janine Garofalo vibe to her. Um <laughs> that that i like a lot in like that way where um she was like born in the wrong decade you know like she should have been born in the 70s and been a teenager in the 90s but she's a teenager in the 2000s and everyone is stupid and she hates everything (laughs) you know um and there's there's something that i uh i just really relate to with her and I, i i i like her a lot like she's she's really cool and and the um, the sort of like I'm I'm a sucker for B and C level romantic plot lines, uh, where you're just like, wait, what they got together? Um, and and so you know, like the like the Xander and Cordelia, where you're just like, what? How does that work? Like what? Um, and then you see them together, and you're like, oh, that's how that works. Okay, that's fine. Um, and that's how I feel about. Chase and uh, Chase and Gertrude. I, I I just really I really like them. Like they're yeah. they're one of those couples that are sort of up there for me as far as um, you know, like this doesn't make any sense, and as a result, it makes perfect sense. It's one of those mm-hmm. things. I love it. Does it last for a while? Uh, for as Spoiler. long as she's alive. Spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. Okay. <laughs> wow. Well, sorry. <laughs> And then let's um, just say for a little while it's chasing old lace. After. Yeah, like like he uh-huh. he gets the connection Aww. to the dinosaur. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's okay, it's Todd. Sad. I like her. It's okay, Todd. She kind of reminds me of Barb. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, I could definitely. Yeah, see. she's the Barb. She's the Barb. Yeah. Um, it's it's okay, Todd. It's comics. Uh, Joseph said there's a new series coming. Guess who's coming back? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you know what? That actually that old lace connection. Uh sort of inheritance thing that actually reminds me of angel with the cordelia and the the thing that she gets from did you guys watch angel oh yeah oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, cordelia from getting the visions from doyle yeah reminds me of that that's weird huh interesting i think for me i i love all these characters and I remember feeling quite betrayed when Alex was the bad guy. Um, <laughs> but it's hard to, like, you can't, re- you can't reread it for that shock ever again. Like, now, every time you see Alex, like, yeah, he's going to. Yeah. yeah, like, like you, you get kind of upset every time you see Alex do anything. Um, but I think Sister Grimm was my favorite. Just, I like that name. And also, of all of them, she has, for me, the most interesting character design. This kind of Elizabethan goth. goth. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just a very unique look that works so well for what her power is and her worldview. So I think I just, there's a lot of, so much came together for that character that I enjoyed. I just love that when they're coming up with names, she's like, well, sister Grimm is my AOL name, username. So <laughs> that's fine. I guess <laughs> that'll be my superhero name now. <laughs> yeah. It's perfect. Nice.
Um, I do want to say something. I can't remember what what it was, but it made one line jump out that um, kind of stood out to me when we get the history of the pride and the time travelers are jumping around and they get angry that they, they're stuck in the eighties because their time machine broke in the eighties. And they say, you and know, they say the it's the worst decade ever is the worst decade of the century. I was like, mm, was it <laughs> was the eighties the worst? There was a great depression. <laughs> are you really going to be so down on the eighties? <laughs> well, they seem very uh, old fashioned. So I imagine they would really hate the eighties. Yeah, but there were there were two world wars and a Great Depression that are giving some other decades running for worse decades. Well, well, sure, but remember they're bad guys. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that that's true. For all we know, we were they were behind all of those things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. And I will just say, like, I, one other thing that I don't think I'd noticed before, but it kind of stood out as a nit to pick uh, in this rereading of the series. Um, so Caroline, who is uh, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, when she takes off her bracelet, she glows and flies, and it's like very psychedelic, um, which by LSD, right, for her, for her name. But whenever she takes her bracelet off, they are shattering that bracelet yeah, every single always, time. She's always like <laughs> every time they do. She's not like sliding it off her hand; she's pulling it off her wrist. And 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 you see every single time like, links like in the chain three, shattering three chain links. So how does she get it back on? That always bugged me. Yeah. Yeah, they never explain it. We'll never know. Just, just uh, in between panel moment, <laughs> it happened in the gutter. Well, next it, time you see Brian Kev on it, maybe she's getting like some out. safety pins from Sister Grim <laughs> to piece it back together each time. <laughs> well, in in general, Sister Grim has got a lot of uh, safety pins. Um, in general, the artwork, uh, it is a vast like. There's just there's this incredible just depth of change between the first six issues and the last six issues <laughs> of this artist like it's very cartoony in the first six issues and then it just gets sort of it's very animated looking but it's also hyper detailed in the last six issues um yeah very- uh, well i mean i i will say there's a broadness to the first ones but we were already talking about like the, there's so much detail in the backgrounds that other comic artists sometimes kind of wave off and hope no one notices yeah Sure, 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 but but there it, it there is a looseness to his pencils in those first mm-hmm. six issues that uh, he reins in and sort of becomes very detailed because he's he is sort of because he's he's one of the creators of Miss um, Marvel, uh, the uh, the the new Miss Marvel, um, Kamala Khan, uh, and he uh, w- when he's on that he's sort of back in that. Uh, those first six issues, like in that mode, yeah. that style, um, presumably because he wants to keep up with monthly comics, uh, <laughs> because <laughs> he's scheduled to that. Um, but uh, those those last six issues, I'd love to see him do something like either a graphic novel or a, a mini series or something that is in that more hyper detailed style, because I really do miss that style from him. Uh, it's it's very good. I remember. He did a a cover for uh, Spider Man Loves Mary Jane that like I like to this day I don't think I've ever seen hair drawn that incredibly than on that on that like cover of Spider Man Loves Mary Jane that he did. Um, he's uh, he's really really good. His storytelling is excellent. Like the way that he paces out the art with the writing and like Vaughn's jokes. 
and things like that. Like the, the, when they're, when they're, again, when they're going, we keep going back to that scene where they're all picking names, but they're all going through the names. And then you get this sort of like hero shot of Chase where he just goes, I'm going to be Neo. And they're like, you can't be Neo, you jerk. <laughs> it's name. Um, I, like, I, like, I just, I, I love that the artwork is sort of in on the joke, you know? Um, yeah. In the yeah. way that our director would be in on the joke in a moment like that. And then the characters sort of interrupt it. Uh, it's just, it's really, really well done and really great storytelling from him as a as a artist scott whenever we have a first time guest on we always like to ask a dinner uh guest question because this is a podcast about great characters we ask our guests if you could have a dinner party with any three to five characters from any genre any medium of storytelling what characters would you want to have around just to enjoy the conversation with uh so i think i would choose um i mean i'd be remiss if i didn't choose the doctor uh because <laughs> uh you know, guy, which guy or or lady uh, would have uh, would have just you know an endless supply of stories to tell. Um, so I think I would go with the doctor. I don't care which one. Uh, <laughs> although I guess I well, you know what, the later the better because that more stories. Um, right. Yeah. You don't want the first version. Right. No. No. Uh, <laughs> You're like, wait, you came to my dinner party? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, so the doctor and then, um, Spider-Man, not Peter Parker, but Spider-Man with like half the mask up because, so that he can eat and drink, but, <laughs> but Spider-Man, uh, his inhibitions are, are a little, a little looser than Peter. So like he would get to be, he would get to like make fun of the doctor's stories and things like he would have. <laughs> it would be sort of like the, the snark generator or whatever. Um, uh, but then would also be like really impressed by things and things like that. And he would have stories of his own, which is good. And then, and then mostly, um, uh, so I would have them for their stories, but then, uh, I would have, uh, Lorelai Gilmore as my sort of, <laughs> as my sort of like partner in, in, in listening crime where we would be able to like kind of like, whisper to each other and make jokes and drink coffee. <laughs> so you're going to have more than one snark generator in the in the room. Right, but but Lorelai's <laughs> just for me. Peter's for everyone. Uh, See. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good grouping. Nice. Uh, anyone else you want to toss in or are you good with that? No, I think I think just those 3 is good. <laughs> yeah. I I think that's a good grouping, definitely. Well done. Okay, that wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining us. For show notes and links to all of the other great Dueling Genre shows, go to DuelingGenre.com. And also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice and leave us a review. It really helps us out. If you enjoyed this episode, you may want to check out episode number 95 when we talked about uh, Nami in the manga One Piece or episode 94 when we discussed Eleven in Stranger Things or number 65 when we talked about Kamala Khan in Miss Marvel. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at protagonistpod, at Todd K. Mack, and at Jay Dorowski. Our producer, Andrew, is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And uh, Scott, are you on, you're on Twitter and... Yeah, I'm I'm at Scott Corelli everywhere. Uh, C A R E L L I. Okay, and, our and Facebook any fan dueling page genre is, webpage, right. That you're you're looking yes. at, and and several dueling genre <laughs> podcasts. <Yes. laughs> True, I plugged all those at the beginning though, so we're good. 
Although, although I do have the Cornetto Minute coming out soon, uh, which is uh, the the Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost um, trilogy of films. So we're going to be covering those one minute at a time. Uh, so, you know, check those out. Uh, speaking of uh, protagonists, if you guys ever want to do Gary King from The World's End, uh, I could talk about him endlessly. Uh, okay, our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. We have great conversations there with our listeners and would love for you to say hello anytime. If you would like to support the show financially, you can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by going to patreon.com slash protagonist. And thanks again for listening, and we'll be back again next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. Bye. like 65 but that's not verified <laughs> hold on sorry andrew one more edit for you let's see here it's joseph at this point is just a drop in the ocean <laughs> <laughs> not, not for this episode but in the three years we've been doing this three years we've been doing it that's that's 65 65 you should just trust your heart man it's oh, 65, it is 65. <laughs> Okay. All right. <laughs> I feel like that whole exchange is going to go in <laughs> from the apology to you were right. <laughs>